TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Welcome to The Connection, a weekly radio program where we share our experiences and expertise with stories of caring, courage, and change right here in Connecticut. Listen to learn about needed resources to improve your well-being and transform your life. Now, here are the hosts of The Connection, Lisa DeMattis-Lapore and Ann Baldwin. Welcome to another edition of The Connection. I am one of your hosts, Ann Baldwin, President and CEO of Baldwin Media, and it's great to have you along on this Sunday morning. And we also have sitting here in studio with us Dr. Kathy Savino, and um, she's a Chief Program Officer for The Connection. Lisa DeMattis Lapore is, uh, I think she's like going to a rock concert with her son or something. That's what I saw on Facebook, so it must be true. But leave it up to Lisa to be out there rocking and rolling with her little cutie, Nico. So anyway, um, it's great to be here. And, you know, Kathy, we've, you know, how can you avoid it? You know, I, I was just in Colorado and I saw on the news about what happened with what they're calling the poisoning in New Haven and the folks that overdosed on, on K2. And, you know, it made national and international news. And, and recently we had the um, the police chief of New Haven down here, uh, Chief Anthony Campbell, um, and he was on the show and, and talking about, you know, it just looked like a war zone. And I know that the connection was part of that because you have folks that were, you know, not while this disaster was happening, but after the fact were, were down on the green and continue to work with other agencies, including, uh, including the Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services, because this really shed light on a bigger problem. Absolutely. We are seeing overdoses um, primarily for opiates, and that's really been given a lot of airtime on the news because mm -hmm. they are uh, so fatal and so widespread at this point. Um, but we don't necessarily see them in clusters like we saw the poisoning in, in New Haven on the green with K2. And what is really interesting about that situation is an overdose or reaction from K2 is often, um, you know, disturbing. It can be um, violent at times, someone can seize, and it's something that is visually really off-putting for people. And I think that the cluster of how many we had in such a, a small proximity really did shed light, obviously, nationally, and really did rock the community and bring to light something that a lot of times people don't want to acknowledge. Right. And what you and the chief had said previously, too, it's the reason it's called a poisoning and not an overdose is that it can be, most people smoke it, it can be one hit. And the effects are tremendous. He said people were vomiting and seizing and, you know, potentially running out into traffic and passing out. I mean, the fact that was it was a, of the magnitude that it was and nobody lost their life. That's right. And this is not made for human consumption. And when we look at other, you know, when we look at household cleaning products that are made and they're synthesized with a chemical compound, we would never call that an overdose. Um, it is a poisoning from a synthetic material that we don't really know the chemical makeup. Oftentimes, this material is coming in from other countries. Um, and, and really, it's, there's no way to monitor what people are getting. There's been 
um, events in other cities, Chicago and in Maryland, where there's been um, rat poison or other poisons that are added into the K2 that are causing immediate deaths. Um, and we're fortunate that in our crisis in New Haven, we did not lose life. But this is really um, a situation where people are taking something not meant for human consumption, and it's poisoning them. You know, it's interesting, too, and as a person in recovery, in my case, from alcohol as well, you know, you wonder, like, why would so many people try something like that? And from someone in recovery, I can see that because, you know, in the beginning I was drinking beer or I do shots of Jack, but in the end it was just chugging vodka, whatever you can get your hands on. So in my opinion, you have somebody who's um, got an addiction and or a disease or mental illness and you give them anything to get high, they're going to look at that as an opportunity. So, you know, I get that, but I think a lot of people out there wondering, well, why in the hell would people even smoke something that when they don't know what's in it? Yeah, that's right. And a lot of people, people don't grow up and say, I want to become addicted to something or I want to have a substance use disorder. Yeah, you know, me. <laughs> people don't do that. No, and, that wasn't my goal in life. Right. And so we have to be understanding that for many of the folks that we see in, in our um, services, they're co-occurring issues. So there are other things that contribute to the substance use disorder. And that once people get to a place of an emotional or physical addiction to something, um, really the reaction that they experience, whether again, it's emotional or physical is so strong that they want to take something to help ease their pain. And, and I do want to acknowledge that many of the individuals that we see in our programs are highly traumatized. And so this is really um, a coping strategy, whether it's effective or not, um, it's certainly um, dysfunctional that they have developed to, to deal with some of the trauma they've experienced. And, and for a lot of these folks, you know, that are suffering out there that are addicted or, or need a mental health services, um, I'll speak from my personal opinion, again, as it, as it related to my recovery, it's access to services, it's what programs. And when you, the individual, are so messed up as I was, I couldn't, I couldn't access those things by myself. Had someone come to me, which they ended up doing, then I had access. And that's exactly what the connection and Department of Mental Health Services, I mean, this isn't something where all of a sudden you all came together and said, uh-oh, what are we going to do? I mean, you talk about this, you've had discussions, you've got relationships, you've got partnerships, you, you share services. So my point is, you know, as you guys got out there with your other agencies and the connection to say to people, what can we do for you? What services do we have that are available to maybe get you out of the cycle? Um, that happened almost immediately. That's correct. You know, we largely had people going out. And, and what I want to point out, as you, you really did, is that there's multiple pathways to recovery. Mm -hmm. And we need to understand that not one agency does everything, and that we need to come together as a community to complement each other's services to um, identify what is going to possibly work best for that individual. And we can't just say, we're here for you. We have to go out sometimes and say, okay, you're in a crisis, let's make this easier for you. Mm -hmm. um, certainly, the individual needs to, to want to be engaged, but there are different ways that we can engage people. And one of the things that we found was um, we started setting up um, just a table, an informational table right on the green. And we weren't sure initially of what the response would be. And the response was overwhelming. We had people coming up to us, asking for information, talking to us about K2, some individuals that didn't know. We had some community members who said, hey, we want to help. What do we do? 
Um, can you outreach at our program? Can you come here? We had other individuals who said, sign me up for treatment right now, which we were able to do. And, and, and I think that's what's really important. And we were not the only agency that did that. Other agencies in the New Haven area were able to provide different services, some medical services on the green. And, and that was really important for us to be able to coordinate services. And I also feel that when you do talk services, it's not necessarily um, we're going to take you away, as was in my case, you know, to a detox and to a 28 or 30 day program. Um, a lot of what you can offer and a lot of what you've proven to be effective are what we call outpatient services. So somebody isn't necessarily in a place for you know, a set period of time. Talk about the difference between outpatient and inpatient. Sure. We actually do not have a detox program at The Connection, and that's really what we use in our court, uh, our CSN or Coordinated Service Network in New Haven is to look at other agencies that complement. Maybe a, if somebody does need uh, a detox program, we can ensure that they get referred and brought over to the correct place. But uh, largely our uh, centers for Behavioral Health have outpatient services. So we have individual um, therapy, which people traditionally understand. We have group therapy. We have more intensive services for those individuals who may be newly in recovery who need um, more intensive treatment, and that is generally three times a week for several hours a day. So we really have built up a nice outpatient continuum. And one of the things that we do see is that people don't necessarily want to engage in treatment because maybe they are functioning. Maybe they have a job. Maybe they have a family. And part of the barrier is I don't want to go away mm -hmm. or I don't feel like I need that level of care. And we understand that, you know, recovery is not a linear process, but if we can engage someone in any way that we can, we're a step ahead. And that's really what we want to do. And, and you just hit a nerve for me because that was my biggest piece of anxiety is that I was going to be away, not only away from my business, but also out of state, no cell phone, no communication with the outside world for 30 days. But, you know, that's what I had to sign up for and that's what I had to give into and that's why I'm still here today and I'm I'm clean and sober now for you know nearly nine years so it can work and like you said and I also know people you talked about different pathways some people go to meetings some people need therapy because they've had a traumatic incident that's led to their disease so you just everybody's different it's an individualized um, application it's not one-stop shopping folks but it's also recovery is possible if you seek out the services, it will help you get to where you need to be. That's correct. And another large component of this, particularly when we talk about the opioid epidemic, is medication-assisted treatment, um, which we are offering in New Haven at our Chapel Street location, which really tries to assist people who are um, dependent on opioids in a safe manner. And that is a component that is best practice for opioid use disorder and is a service that we also do provide. And it is an addiction. I mean, I remember, you know, back in my recovery house when this one young man was saying, I remember going to my dealer the first night that I was going to try opioids. And I said to the dealer, I got to be home by seven o'clock. How long will this last? And the dealer said, for the rest of your life. So it's like anything else. It, you can't just stop it. That's right. You can't just stop it. You, you really need to get to the point. And, and that's where I really believe organizations like The Connection, you know, even the New Haven Police Chief and his first responders, you know, they get it. They knew. They were sensitive to the fact that, you know, they could have easily been angry and here we are cleaning up vomit and keeping people from seizing and all that. But they understood from their hearts that these people had an addiction. These people have a problem. 
And, you know, thank God, you know, as the chief was telling us on the last program, two men were arrested and were the source of this, of this bad stuff and things kind of stopped. But that doesn't mean because people aren't being poisoned that the need for these services doesn't still exist. Right, because the fact that people did take it in such large quantity is really the issue here. Um, and just because it's not as visual and it's not as out there does not mean that it's not happening. It just means that there's not a really bad batch out there that people are getting poisoned from in mass quantities. We certainly know that opioids right now in our community is a significant issue. We went from approximately seven fatalities from fentanyl five years ago to approximately 700. Wow. Um, fentanyl is, uh, is a very dangerous drug that we are seeing um, opioids are being laced with. We do have some clients who are intentionally taking fentanyl because of the high. And so we do have to recognize and respond to that particular issue. And the issue with opioids in general is that the, the pathway to massive addiction and potentially death is very quick. Whereas other drugs that we've historically um, have been in the high, you know, highlighted, whether it was crack cocaine in the 80s or alcohol, the body broke down over the course of years. And this could be a very long addiction. When we are talking about opioids, it could be one use and death. And so there's a real imminent crisis here with the, the opioid addiction. Absolutely. So I wanna to talk to you, Kathy, as well, because shortly after this, I understand there was what was called a round table discussion. So can you reveal who was around that table? What did that look like? And what were, was there even an aha moment that came out of that? At the roundtable, we were fortunate to have uh, the deputy director of the drug policy, uh, drug control policy from the White House, Director Carroll. Uh, we were also fortunate to be with the commissioner of Demas, DPH, state police, uh, Chief Campbell, Chief Alston, the emergency, uh, head of emergency response, Rick Fontana, and uh, just a number of individuals, community providers, um, and uh, the mayor, obviously, yeah. uh, Governor Malloy, Senator Blumenthal. So this was a meeting that was... You could have uh, stopped before those two, but I'll leave that alone. Well, you know, and it, I, I guess when... I just don't like when these issues turn political. I mean, if you're going to do something about it and you're going to help, you know, shed resources and light on the situation, great. But if you're just using this as a photo op, then, you know, what good is it? But I'll stop that and just say, you know, Kathy, I'm glad that you were at the table because... We know your background. We know your expertise. We know what you do at The Connection. And when people put these conversations together, oftentimes I feel they're done in isolation, that you don't have the right people around the table, whether we're talking about public education, whether we're talking about addiction. So was it? did anything come out of that, or, and what was kind of the result of the conversation? One positive thing, it was nice to see Deputy Director Carroll and hear some of his perspective um, as a leader in the White House on the issue of substance use disorders and addiction in our community. And it was wonderful to see sort of bipartisan agreement that substance use disorders is a medical issue and that we really need to provide treatment and resources. And so that was very positive to see. It was also wonderful to see people in the community come together and talk about multiple pathways, talk about what resources we all have, talk about how we can reach out to clients in different ways. One of the um, 
initiatives that has really taken steam is having recovery coaches or peers with lived experience in emergency departments. So being the first point of contact for individuals who've gone through an overdose or a poisoning to try to engage that person right there in a non-threatening way. So it was a nice opportunity for people to come together and also talk about the preventative efforts that we received some funding, federally, federal funding for regarding our young people and the communities that we can create within schools. You know, there is a preventative piece to this. The kids that are more engaged, and certainly drug addiction, alcoholism, mental illness impacts everybody. Okay, so there is no class or right. SES, so it impacts everybody. Mm -hmm. But what we do know is that kids who are more engaged, more engaged in positive things, are engaged with school, want to go, they tend to do better. And so there was also a big focus on prevention and really targeting young people in our communities as well. You know, I believe it's it's responsibility, it's function, right? If in and accountability. If you know that you've got to be at basketball practice at, you know, seven o'clock at night, hopefully you're not gonna go out and get messed up before that because you're not gonna function at that. So making sure that people know and hold up their responsibilities because there are those people that think they're functioning this or functioning that, but you're truly not functioning to your full capability if you're under the influence of something. And I want to go back to something else that you said too, Kathy, and that was about the, um, the emergency room, you know, peer-to-peer -peer thing. I remember ending up in the emergency room, <clears throat> uh, you know, probably in my early 50s as my alcoholism really kind of started to spiral out of control. And all I remember about that experience is, you know, laying there in the middle of the night, sobering up with some poor college girl that was, you know, her job was to babysit me and make sure that I didn't escape while she read a book. There was no conversation there. There was nobody there. I was there in isolation. I mean, some of the people in the emergency room, they were just pissed because, you know what, I wasn't well, I wasn't. I, you know, I was there because I did what I did to myself, and they really didn't give a crap. When you got the guy down the hall with a heart attack, and that's beyond his control, you know, they had no sympathy for me. But I was sure having sympathy for myself. And my point is, had I had somebody there then that would have said, look, you know, I've been there. I've done that. Let's walk together to the service, or let me show you the way to recovery. You know, then maybe I wouldn't have ended up in a $30,000 luxury rehab. But anyway, again, here I am, and I'm grateful for that. Well, I think, you know, what you speak to is the stigma and the shame that people feel, and that there is a real stigma uh, with uh, mental health and substance use disorders in our society, and there's also compassion fatigue. You know, Chief Campbell talked about that in the last program where he said he was concerned of his first responders having compassion fatigue because they're responding to so many, in, this, in that previous instance on the green, poisonings of K2, but they're also regularly regularly responding to overdoses with opioids. And at what point do, does it uh, compassion fatigue kick in and all that they can do to get through the day is to be a little bit more cavalier about it. And so I think that absolutely happens in emergency rooms. And you know, a couple of people that I talked to have lost loved ones because of addiction will describe it as I lost my brother or my father from shame because I didn't want to come forward, because that person felt so much shame coming forward and saying, I have a substance use disorder, that they didn't seek treatment. And having a peer really in the emergency department, able to respond to someone right away, can cut through some of that. Because here it is, someone who's shared, my, shared a similar experience to me. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about some of the services that you're finding that really are having an impact. And we've had people on the show that have experienced those services because we all know 
today with all these budget cuts and you know fewer and fewer fewer dollars there's a there's a credibility factor there's an effectiveness there's measurements there's tools there's you know we're not going to give you money unless you can prove that this is working and we've had people sit right here in this very studio that have accessed some of the connections outpatient services living a totally different life and as a matter of fact even some of them going back to the connection professionally you know because they want to give back because they know where they're at and they appreciate where they're at today. Yeah, a couple of things about the connection services. We have a broad array of services, and I think that's important. When we look at, let's say, an individual who's homeless and has some significant trauma history and is also suffering from mental health issues and a substance use disorder, and they don't have housing, it's very difficult to treat those things because literally they're fighting for their life every day. Mm -hmm. Their basic needs are not being met, and so how can you achieve and meet the needs of something that is so far more complex? Um, and so you know, we do have services for housing individuals and getting people stably housed. And we adhere to a housing first model, which says, you know, in, in many of our programs, you don't need clean time. Let's get you housed and then let's deal with this. Wow. And that's really important. That is a model that the Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services adheres to. Um, and, and that's really what's important, that we have various services that address various needs. So once we can get someone housed, or maybe they, they don't need housing services and they are safely housed, we can address treatment in a number of ways. We have outpatient clinics in, in a number of areas, uh, six primary areas in the state. And we offer an array of services, as I said, individual. We do evaluations to really determine what is the service level that somebody needs. It's not one size fits all. We might have someone come to us and we say, hey, they need more intensive services that we offer. Let's connect them. Or we have someone come and we do a clinical evaluation and really partner with them to say, we recommend a particular level of care. And let's talk about how we can make that work for you. Um, so we have a, a variety of um, outpatient services that we provide, certainly psychiatry and medication management. Um, one of the things that we do not do is we don't provide medication management only. We firmly believe that if someone is receiving medications to address whether it's medication-assisted treatment for a substance use disorder or for a psychiatric issue, that it's best to have them engaged in treatment services, even at minimum once a month, so that they can really benefit from the traditional therapy as well to address the, the underlying issues related to their um, presenting problems. And there again, you know, maybe some of these people haven't had to be held accountable. But if you know that you're going to have an appointment the next day or if you know you're going to go see someone the next day and, and that's incentive for you, you know, as they say, one day at a time, you know, all you've got is today. And if you can put, you start putting those minutes together that make a day, putting those days together that make weeks, months, before you know it, you're, you're at years. So it really does work. It really is effective. So some of the um, services that you talked about, and if it's not a service that you need, um, I've also been told, you know, too, that 211 is also a great number for people to call. But if you go to the website, theconnectioninc.org, you can see all the resources that are available to you. And, you know, it just blows me away to think that, you know, even housing, you think that you tell somebody, get into the house first and we'll take it from there. That's amazing. That really is amazing. And some of the programs that are offered, and more importantly, the success stories and the people that I see that are living a totally different life today is even more amazing. You know, the addict mother who lost her five kids, who two years later has a roof over her head and all of her five kids are on to great educations, in some cases higher education. I mean, it. you know, 
don't doubt that it works because we've seen it. We've heard it right here on this program. And that particular person, I know exactly who you're talking <laughs> about. I love her. She went through multiple connection programs. And I think that's also an important point to make is that there's a continuum of services, mm -hmm. whether it's within the connection or a connect the connection working with other community partners to create a continuum for folks so that they can step down and they can have all of their needs met. That's so critical. What I would um, also just want to say, obviously people can go on the website to, to see our services, but we can also assist you uh, through our helpline. So if people want to call 855-HELP-955, um, someone will answer the call and help either get you engaged in outpatient services if that's what you're looking for or be able to just help um, navigate through other programs that we may have so that it's a little bit easier to get someone uh, who can help you. And again, that number, if you're one of those people that doesn't like putting words into your phone, the number is 855-435-7955. Okay, so let's switch topics. Let's lighten it up a little bit. Are you a golfer? Um, I have golfed before. You look like a golfer. I'm not really a golfer, but I've golfed before. You're a runner then. I'm not, well, I'm not really a runner either. I've run too. It's just that tall, slender build of yours. I thought you must be doing something rather than chasing around a toddler. Maybe that's what keeps you in shape. <laughs> well, we've got the first annual uh, Connection Golf Tournament that's coming up. Are you going to play? I think I am. No, I think I am. you got to say, yes, I am, because it's coming up Monday, September 24th. And it's going to be at H. Smith Richardson Golf Course, and that's in Fairfield on Morehouse Highway. So it's down on the Gold Coast, but it doesn't mean you have to be from the Gold Coast to play. And there's some sponsorship opportunities. They're looking for people to get involved that way. And if you want to uh, talk to folks about sponsorship, we'll give you that information. But more importantly, let's get you registered because it's always fun, you know, and the first one's always uh, you know, a little what's going to happen here, but I'm sure that the weather, it's beautiful, beautiful time of year, end of September, and it is a 10 o'clock a.m. shotgun start, then they're going to have lunch at the turn, dinner with some great silent au auction items, 18 holes, golf with cart, so if you're interested in playing in this tournament or um, sponsorship opportunities, you can email for sponsorship B Cronin, B-C-R-O-N-I-N at theconnectioninc.org. Or if you want to play, Nancy Jutris, she's a great lady. She'll be at the end, or, end of the phone taking your um, information. And her email is njutras, J-U-T-R-A-S, at theconnection.org. And the other opportunity you have is if you want to play golf, it's 160 bucks. Or if you just want to come to dinner, you can do that too, and that's $50. So let's support all these great programs that we talked about today on this program because it doesn't just happen. It takes money. It takes dollars um, to get these people the services that they need. So it really is a community and a social responsibility that people can get involved in. It is, and I think our work is so serious, and this is going to be a great day, a fun event. We will have Connection staff. I know we have uh, some staff who are very good at golf, and I'm hoping – to recruit them for my team. <laughs> um, but we also will have staff who are just present, really, who are, are su they're such champions in representing and supporting our organization to help the community. And, and we just think it's going to be an absolutely fun day. It is. And you know, when I golf, I don't golf on a regular basis, but I golf a lot in these, you know, best ball tournaments and, and shotgun starts. And it's just fun. It's fun to get out there and to meet different people. You don't have to be good at golf. Trust me, I'm not. But hopefully the other people on your team, and I'm not there to win. Uh, maybe win a couple raffle prizes, but I'm not there to win, you know, 
longest drive or any of that stuff. I'm just there because I want to support the organization and and it is a good time and, and they do a great job. And again, it is their first annual tournament, so hopefully there will be a good turnout. And it's at H. Smith Richardson Golf Course um, at Kieran's Place. Is that how you say it? Down in Fairfield. So um, really, it's, it's always a good time. I love the best ball stuff, like I said. I have one for longest drive on the women's hole one, so I won a prize. The guy won a putter. Are you available that day? I'm looking for teammates. Are you? Yeah. Well, here's, here's the funny part. So the guy that won for longest drive, he got a really nice putter. And in my case, the women, the woman who won longest drive, you know what I got? A basket with, like, pancake mix and syrup and a couple of wooden spoons and an apron. Uh -oh. I'm not into all this equal rights stuff, but I was pissed. So I donated the basket back to the organization. I'm like, raffle it off, give it away. I don't really care. I want a putter, not a freaking pancake mix basket. <laughs> but I know that won't happen at the connection. So, um, th you know, this has been a serious but yet a fun conversation, and that's what this is all about. We're just giving people access to information. Um, some people don't understand it. Some people don't understand, you know, why people take things that are going to make them feel weird, or in this case, poison them, or make them drunk. Um, so that's the other thing about the Connections website. There's information there that might even help you better understand what some people are going through. And so, you know, educate yourself before you judge others, trust me. And you, you mentioned it earlier, there's stereotypes, but this stuff impacts people of all races, all socioeconomic um, degrees. I mean, you name it, you probably know somebody who's suffering. That's right. And, you know, we saw uh, in 2000. 17, there was some research that was conducted that said that the United States utilizes 80% of the opioid prescriptions that are produced in the world. A opioid medication, I'm sorry, that is produced in the world. And then when you add in uh, Western Europe and you add in Canada, it's 95%. So there are significant issues and um, we're here to, to really uh, make sure that we address them in our communities uh, because we know it's a growing problem. and. Uh, that's that's really what we want our response to be holistic and, and really geared towards the community. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Kathy Savino, Chief Program Officer at The Connection, as usual, it's been an engaging and informing discussion, and hopefully you enjoyed it as well. Our listeners of this program will be back same time, same place. Lisa will be back in the house uh, for our next show, so you won't want to miss that right here on WTIC News Talk 1080. platform with something for everyone news in order to secure convictions in a court of law it is essential that we conclusively sports that clock at four Donchich. the step back three you bet. music you set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts whatever you love hear it right here on tune in go to tune in.com or download the tune in app to start listening